Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. As Rachel and Emma already did a uh, fantastic job of it, but uh, I just want to say uh, just a massive thank you for uh, how everyone contributed to uh, carols. It was so good to see the volunteers and see people uh, coming together and just, just see the presence and the power of God being poured out on lives. So I think we should give ourselves a huge clap again. Great job. Well done. Well done. What a, what a privilege it is to uh, serve God, to be in this city, and to uh, just make a difference in people's lives, which is awesome. But uh, what we're going to do now is uh, I'm going to continue our series, which uh, is in the lead up to Christmas, uh, which is called Behold. And we're talking about divine encounters this Christmas. And as we talked about last week, we're going to uh, approach the, the Christmas story from uh, from three different vantage points. And so uh, we talked last week about Mary. Uh, next week we're talking about, sorry, not next week. Today is next week from last week. Who would have <laughs> believed? Today we're talking about Joseph. And then, um, and then next week we're talking about a group of shepherds. But uh, last week, uh, we, if you remember, we looked at uh, Mary and uh, Rachel shared a powerful message. We discovered that the circumstances that were around Mary's life things that she may have seen as a disadvantage, God actually used those things as an advantage to work his character and work his purpose in her life. We, we also discussed that God is not limited to our human ideas of influence. So you may not have many followers on social media. You may not have social media. It's probably the best thing for us. Anyway, but anyway, you, you know, you might not have a prestige, uh, prestigious job. You might not be uh, wealthy or powerful, but God doesn't need those things to bring about kingdom influence in your life. And so uh, Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds, all these, all these three characters or groups of people, they all had this behold moment. They all experienced angelic or divine visitations, which immediately afterwards left them feeling a bit uncertain and afraid and unsure and apprehensive. And as the initial shock of these sort of encounters uh, wore off, they were, they were faced with the reality of a future that they were not expecting. But, but what about you? You may not have had an angelic visitation before. Uh, I, I haven't in that, in that sense. But have you ever had uh, something in life come and throw you a bit of a curveball? You know, you thought life was going one way and then something happened, maybe something circumstantially happened. There was a bit of a, a, bit of a change, in, change of direction. Maybe you had hopes and dreams and some event changed or shifted all that. Maybe you encountered God and it was amazing and wonderful, but also it meant that things had to shift in your life and some, some things became uh, more uncertain and you weren't quite sure of the future. Uh, I've had many God encounters, but one particularly uh, that sort of shifted and, and changed and made me feel a little bit uncertain. When I was 17 years old, I had plans to uh, move from my hometown of Maitland, which was a small country city, city's probably stretching it a bit, um, to the, on, on the east coast of the Big Smoke uh, in Sydney. Uh, my plan was to go and study music there, but I had this encounter with God that he had been just sort of, you know, drip feeding me uh, over some time. But, but I remember it was actually in a, in a moment of worship, no one said anything, but I just had this encounter with God and I knew that I had to choose to not do that 
but to go and do Bible college, go and do an internship, uh, be involved in my local church. And, and, and that was the encounter that shifted the direction of my life. So, you know, encounters with God will always shift something in your life. It may not always be geographically. You know, my encounter with God at 17 called me to actually stay. You know, often we hear about these encounters with God and it's like, and we're going to go and we're going to go and we're going to go and we're going to go. And we do all that as well. But I had this encounter with God to stay. And, and there's, there's something amazing and unexpected. When that happens, it shakes things up a little bit. And so that's where we're going to land today as we talk about Joseph. Um, now, we celebrate the birth of Jesus with amazing joy, wonder, partying, food, all those things like we should, because we know how it all ends. But back in real time when it was happening just over 2,000 years ago, there was uncertainty, confusion, and I'm sure some fear. We get to view it like, you know, if you watch a sporting match, if you don't watch sport, just pretend you do for a second, right? So if you're watching, uh, we'll pray for you. No, don't worry. Yeah, um, pray for my wife, please. Um, she doesn't watch sport, but that's okay. It's all right. It's all right. She's like, keep going. I you tell you, this is the, the one time, so um, you know when the Matildas lost the, was it semifinal or quarterfinal? Going to semi, right? So we had worship practice on. I was here, I'm like, I'm not checking the score, going to watch the replay when I get home. I went to pick up our daughter from dance, had five minutes to kill. I went to get my phone out, I'm like, no, don't go on the phone, you'll see what's happened. I'm like, I walk in the door and my wife who never watches sport was like, can you believe the Matilda's lost? I'm just like, well, that just saved 90 minutes of my life. Anyway, um, but you know, if you watch a sporting match on TV after the game is finished and you know what the score is, you know, what your you know that your team wins already, when they go behind, you're like, it's okay, I know what's coming. You know, if you're into, um, you know, I'm into soccer or football, English Premier League, so it gets after the 90 minutes, which is when the game should end, there's a little bit of extra time and your team's still behind, you're like, I know what's happening, I know what's happening, we're, we're winning. That's how we approach Christmas. But Joseph doesn't approach Christmas like that. I'd love to put, try and put us in his shoes for a second. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 1. This is verses 18 through to 23. It'll be on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible with you. It says this, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. So we, we may be familiar with that passage of Scripture, may, may, maybe we're not, but here we have this angel appearing to Joseph. And, and he's giving him some brain-shattering news, right? He's like, your fiancé is pregnant. And if we try and imagine what he's thinking, his head's spinning. 
at, at, at the moment. He's thinking, no, that can't be right. It can't be me. We did hold hands once, but I don't think that's how it happens. You know, it's like, this can't, you know, this, what, 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 what's going on here? But God tells him, don't worry. It's not another guy. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. So, so comforting, right? If, if you're Joseph. And so we often hear a lot about the angel coming and making an announcement to Mary, but let's not forget Joseph. Now, the key reason not to forget Joseph is not so much because he had a tough gig, you know, raising a son that was sort of, sort of wasn't his, but because what we think about Joseph and his story greatly defines what we believe about Jesus. You see, because if we think that Joseph not being Jesus' biological father is just, you know, a bit of a bit of exaggeration, just sort of adds to the drama, you know, it's just sort of part of the story. If we think like that, there's a bit of an issue because if, if Joseph was indeed the real father, then Jesus is just another good moral teacher. There's been a fair few of those throughout history. They've done great work through the earth. But if, Joseph, but if God, sorry, is the real father, then that changes everything. That means that Jesus is actually the son of God. This, this, is, this is shocking and earth-shattering news. It's monumental for the whole of humanity. The, the Messiah, God coming in flesh, was, was incredible not just for us today, but for the people of the time as well. We read earlier from uh, Matthew in verse 23. Uh, in Matthew, it's actually quoting from uh, the Old Testament book of Isaiah, who was a prophet. A prophet is someone who speaks of things to come. And it's actually from Isaiah 7.14. Uh, I think that'll be on the screen as well. And this is the verse in Isaiah. It says, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Isaiah prophesies this uh, centuries before Jesus turns up. And so for centuries, the Jewish religious leaders and scholars, they had known that prophecy, but they thought it shouldn't be taken literally. They believe it was predicting some great leader through whose work would show God present to everyone. But this announcement to Joseph is actually saying the promise is greater than anyone could ever imagine. Jesus is literally God with us because he is human life growing in the womb of Mary. He, he, he's literally God. And so God becoming man is actually the greatest miracle of all time. Yeah. Author and theologian J.I. Packer says it like this, the Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught like any other child. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. And so this morning... And over this Christmas season, I'd love to invite you to, to consider, to, to meditate, to think upon the fact that the almighty God of the universe became a human being and dwelt among us. Let's, let's not get, maybe you know that story, maybe you've been in church for you know, 50 plus years, whatever, but let's not get so familiar with that. That this season, we just skim over that. You know, as we make the present list, as we purchase more food than we can eat, you know, as we have a food coma on Christmas Day in the afternoon, let's, let's not forget that, that we're celebrating Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ, coming in the flesh. And so in this lead up to Christmas over these three weeks, Rachel did it last week as well, we were asking two questions. Because whenever there's a behold moment, whenever we encounter God, whenever someone encounters 
God, when heaven meets earth and God's revealed to a person, um, the truth is always revealed. And so the two questions we're asking is what does this divine encounter reveal about Joseph and then therefore about us? And what does this divine encounter reveal about God and who he is? And so we read earlier, I want to read it again. This is Matthew 1, verse 21. It says this. Uh, this is the angel speaking to Joseph. It says, And she will have a son, and you ought to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Uh, the late great Tim Keller says this about this passage. The angel tells Joseph what he is to name his boy. In that patriarchal culture, it was the father's absolute right to name his child. He had complete rights over his children, and naming was a sign of his control over the family. The angel, however, takes that away. By refusing to let him name Jesus, the angel is saying, if Jesus is in your life, you are not his manager. This child who is about to be born is your manager. So, so imagine being Joseph, right? He doesn't even get to participate in the fun part of making a baby, and he doesn't even get to name his son as well. Uh, I don't know about you, if you have teenagers or have had teenagers, and sometimes you feel like they're your manager, well, well, well this time, this time, Jesus is Joseph's manager right from the start. In fact, as he is in the womb, right? And so just as Joseph is sort of reeling from this announcement of your fiance's pregnant, he gets hit again and says, by the way, you're also not naming him. Yeah. By the way... I'm going to tell you what you're naming him, and you're naming him Jesus. And so like Joseph, we often like to, like to name things. In our, our natural or our, our fallen nature tendency, I, I know it's mine, is to control, right? We like control. Even if we're a really cruisy person, to some degree, we, we, like, we like control. We like everything just to go right. But just like Joseph, what we have is only an illusion of control. So what's revealed about Joseph and therefore about us in this, in this divine encounter? Number one is this, is that we have less control than we think. Less control than we think. I know that um, you know, last couple of years in COVID probably revealed the reality to many of us that we're not in control. Maybe after making it through that sort of season, you were expecting some sense of normality to return. However, as we scan the cultural horizon, we are confronted with challenges like rising cost of living or conflict and war, cultural tension and unrest. And once again, and it's actually always been this way, God is calling us to release control and embrace trust in Him. The yeah. yeah. Bible says this in the book of James, is near the end of the New Testament, James 4, 13 to 15. It says this, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for some time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Pastor and author uh, Mark Sayers uh, from Melbourne, he speaks about uh, this period between uh, the fall of the Berlin Wall, we'll do a little bit of history for a second, the, the fall of the Berlin Wall, which was in 1989, and probably about December 2019. And, and he calls this age the age of smooth. That, that's the age that I grew up in. I was 17 in, I was 17, whoa, I just added 10 years. I was seven in 1989. <laughs> um, but, you know, during those years, there were some bumps along the way 
But generally, if you had the resources, you could do what you want. Like, do you know, oh, I think I might fly here as long as I've got the money. I can fly here. Oh, I think I might buy this product. Oh, I think I'll do that. Oh, I think I might order these shoes online. And then it just comes to my door. We, we, we could do all that. It felt like most things during that time, if they were planned and resourced well, would always just work. But who knows, that's not the world that we live in today. Because what we had was only an illusion of control. I know everyone older than me is like, hey, I was around in World War II. I, you know, I'm, I'm a baby boomer. We've been through it. We, we, we know you're young and you're just sort of catching up with us. We understand that. But, but what we've got to understand is that we only have an illusion of control. And Jesus calls us to live counterculturally. He calls us to live different. He calls us to live in a way that most people think is crazy. And that is we're going to have to commit to denying ourselves. You see, following Jesus is not about saying, Jesus, I will follow you if you do this, if this happens. It's not about weighing up the falls and against and, you know, finding out what your return on investment will be. The following Jesus deal is not a negotiation. It's a surrender. And it takes courage to do this. And so the question that we discover from Joseph and for us today is, what are some areas in your life where maybe you need to relinquish some control and trust in him? We need, what are some areas where uh, you need to stop trying to, trying to grasp and control everything and just, just make it work? Where, where, where are some areas that you need to let go and trust God? Now, that doesn't mean that we, you know, sit on our butts, do nothing, say, God, you just, you just sort it out for us. But what it does mean is that underneath all the, all the striving and things we try and do, we say, God, I, I'm going to trust you. What it means is instead of trying to fix every problem first and then when it doesn't work out our way, we pray. Instead, we pray first. And we say, God, I trust you. God, I commit this to you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in, in, in my life. What it, what it means is that we, we don't just go out and try and make it on our own, but we say, God, what dream and vision and purpose do you have for my life? What about, what about my family? I, I'm going to ask you first, what is your vision for my family. God, what have you called me to? In my stage of retirement, maybe you're an empty nester now. Okay, God, what have you called us to? What kingdom purpose and plan do you have for our lives in, in, in our age? And, and we're going to pray and seek God and trust him and then work out of that foundation of trust instead of trying to control and do everything ourselves. Jesus said it like this in Luke 9, 23 to 24. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. You see, Joseph obeyed and gave up the right to name his son. He trusted God's way, even when it didn't make sense. So as I said, there's some areas in your life where it's time to release control, to trust God. Maybe the Holy Spirit is prompting you right now. Well, what, 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 what does that mean, Holy Spirit prompting? That sounds fairly churchy. Well, well what are some things right now that are, that are maybe coming to your mind? Oh, yeah, that, that situation or that thing I've been worrying about or that, that thing I've been trying to do on my own. Well, what we do is we just ask God, okay, God, what, what would you have for me to do? What, what would you take for me? You know, Joseph, what, what, what do I need to do? Joseph's encounter revealed that we have less control than we think, less control than we think. So that's what Joseph's encounter revealed about him and therefore about us. 
So what, what does it reveal about God? Number two is this, is that God values every piece of the puzzle. He values every piece of the puzzle. Do we have any um, puzzle extraordinaires in the, in the church here, like 5,000 piece, 10,000 piece? Who's, who, who's, who's into that? There's some, yeah, there's people pointing at people. Yep, yep, some in the back corner there, yep. My, my grandma has always been into um, large puzzles. I, I remember visiting my grandparents' house as a kid, and in their spare room, there would be this giant puzzle on a board, and um, my grandfather was into, uh, you know, just like making cool stuff that sort of just worked. And so what he had hooked up is he'd hooked up a pulley on the ceiling with the ropes down to this massive board that had puzzles so that when people came over, he could pulley, pulley the puzzle to the ceiling and then he could still use the room. Like that's, that's sort of the level like that, that they were into. Yes, that's right. That's right. That, that's the level they were into. Right, we visited, uh, my grandfather passed away a couple of years ago, but we visited my grandma in July uh, this year. She's 94 years old and she still had a puzzle. They, they've shrunk a little bit, you know, 94, slacking off grandma, what are you doing? What are you doing? But they, they've shrunk a little bit, still bigger than anything I've ever completed. She had one on, on the card table there and we tried to do a bit and yeah, we're woeful, we're woeful at it. But what's the hardest part of a puzzle to put together? Yes, exactly. It's probably water of the ocean or the sky or anything that's, the, that's, that's a similar shape and the same colour. You know, it can be easy to think of those pieces when they're sitting there all spread out as insignificant until you get to the end of the puzzle and there's some spots missing. Suddenly, suddenly they are so important because, you know, just got just to gotta complete. Because remember, we have control issues, you know. Like, just got just to gotta complete. Just got just to gotta finish this thing. You know, it can be easy to think that these pieces are insignificant, yet they needed to create the whole. And the same could be said about Joseph. It would be easy to leave out Joseph. It would be easy to leave, sorry, Joseph out of the biblical narrative. He doesn't seem like he does much. Right? Yet Joseph, yeah, what was your job description? Well, I had a dream. I didn't, you know, break up with my fiance and I lost my son in the temple and trying to think of anything else. We, we flee to Egypt and that's about, that, that's about it. That's what I did. Yet Joseph, Joseph plays this pivotal role in the plan of humanity, in the redemption of humanity. It's easy to forget that for the most part, Jesus lives in obscurity for, for, for nearly 30 years. Joseph, together with Mary, raises the Son of God, the hope of humanity. And, you know, at first glance, it seems like Joseph gets a raw deal from God. He gives up naming his son, gives up participating in creating his son. However, God is not looking for stardom and people of great fame. You know, in a celebrity-obsessed culture, it can be easy to look for the limelight and believe that the lie that success equals being celebrated by others. But Joseph's story reveals that when we, are, when we are obedient to God, he takes our seemingly small part and combines it with every other part to achieve his will. You see, God's plan is less about you than you think it is, but it's greater than you could ever imagine. It's, it's a parallel. We, we, we think it's more about us, and we also think it's less. 
but it's actually more, it's actually less about us, but it's more. Does, it, does it, that make sense? It's a, it's a paradox, right? It's, it's crazy. But as we trust God, as we're obedient to Him, we realize that God values every single piece of the puzzle. And as we discover God's will for each season of our lives and walk in it, He uses us in powerful ways. Maybe the band could come as, uh, as we start to wrap up. Uh, I'd love to read this, this, uh, these lyrics of this uh, recent song I've been listening to you by an artist called Chris Davenport. The song's called God, What Do You Want to Do? And he says this, I ain't going to lie to you and say I feel all right. I ain't going to feign the truth while I'm floating down the Nile. But if you will light the way of where I'm going to, God, what do you want from me? Because that's what I'm going to do. I love, that, I love that second last line. God, what do you want from me? And then the response, because that's what I'm going to do. And I, I, I think that's the, that's the key for all of our lives. Whether we're just discovering God maybe for the very first time, whether we've been walking with him for, for many years, the question we just ask is, okay, God, what, what do you want from me? Not as in, and you know, he's not like, great, I'm going to extract this from you, but just, God, what, what have you got for me? In the season that I find myself in, when I'm raising small kids and it feels like all hell is broken loose, when all the kids have left and um, it's like, oh, so what do we, what do, what do we, what do we do now? You know, when, when, whatever season it is, as a young person going going through high school and you're like, yes. I just got on school holidays or it's nearly school holidays or, 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 or countdown or maybe you're a young person, young adult, uh, just asking those big questions of life. God, like, what, what am I going to do with my life? What, who, who am I going to marry? What's, what, what, what's going to happen? In all those things, whatever season it is, maybe you've been in a season of grief. Maybe there's been loss. Maybe there's been, uh, maybe there's been broken marriage. Maybe there's been uh, different things that have happened in your life, the question we always come back to is, God, what, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? What do you have for me? You see, I don't know which piece of the puzzle you are. You might be the corner piece. Always great to start with those, my puzzle grandma tells me. Or maybe you're uh, the peak of a snowy mountain in some beautiful you know, Himalayan vista that, that, you've got, that you've got there on the puzzle. Maybe you're the blue sky that could be easily overlooked because it's sort of similar shape and color to everything else. But we, we all understand, understand this with puzzles that any single piece on its own is not actually that impressive. You know what I mean? Like even in a, like a, one of my grandma's like 10,000 piece puzzles, right? If I just took one, if I just took one piece and showed you, no one would be like, wow. No one would be like, oh, wow, that's awesome. Oh, wow, so good. But when you put it together, when you put it together and you're like, whoa, can I tell you, that's what God does with you. That's what God does with me. That's what He does with us as a church. When He puts us together, it's amazing what He can do through our lives. So maybe we can impact a community, maybe up to a thousand people in a night. When He puts us together, it's phenomenal what He can do. But then do you know what? He doesn't just put us together, but He puts every church in Mandra together as we believe for this city, as we pray for this city, as we say, God, pour out your spirit, pour out your presence on our city. Let us have an encounter. Let every church, every church be filled to overflowing. God, fill East Lakes and make it overflowing. Fill Waratah and make it overflowing. Fill Kingdom City, make it overflowing. Fill Elevation, make it overflowing. And then give us an extension so we can fill that again and, and make it overflowing. Again, like God, just, just pour out. But then not only that, 
then it's every church in the nation of Australia. God, pour out the great Southland of the Holy Spirit. God, pour out your favor on our lives across all creeds, across all backgrounds, across our nation, and then around the world. Lord God, as Christians are, are, are suffering in places, are suffering in Gaza, are suffering in Iran, are suffering in other places across this world, God, would you pour out your spirit as maybe Christians in the West are, you know, in a bit of a consumer mindset saying, God, just give me, give me, give me, God, pour out your spirit on their lives. Well, why? Because he puts every piece of the puzzle together. And then not only that, but we are part of what we call sometimes the capital C church. You know what that is? That's every believer in the history of the world who was and will come. God puts us together, every nation, every tribe, as the church of Jesus Christ. You're, you're part of that. Maybe you're the corner piece of that. I don't know. Maybe the blues, maybe the top of the Himalayan mountain. So I, I don't know where we are, but I know that we're part of that. And what we've got to understand is that God values every single part. And as we ask God, God, what do you have for me? In his sovereignty and his awesomeness, God just fits that all together to bring about redemption, bring about hope, bring about love and peace. So across this place, I'd love you to bow your heads. We're going to pray. First, we're going to pray over every life, God. God, I thank you right now. Lord, those areas of things that we've tried to control, God, things that we need to let go of, Holy Spirit, things that you've prompted in all of us, Lord God. There's areas where we're just trying to grasp and do things in our own strength. Come on this morning, God, we, we trust in you. We declare that we will pray first. We declare that we will seek your hand, that we will seek your voice first, and then we will respond. Lord, we thank you right now for every single person here, Lord God, as we release that control and we say, God, come and work in and through our lives. God, I thank you right now as we realize that we have valued every piece of the puzzle. Lord God, I thank you right now over every heart here. I thank you that there is a Bill piece. I thank you there is a Alicia piece. I thank you there's a Peter piece. There's a Tobin piece. There's a Kent piece. There's a Peru piece. There's a Jackie piece. I thank you there's a Cody piece. I thank you there's an Ariel piece. I thank you there's a Jess piece. I thank you, Lord, that there is a Sue piece. There's a piece of the puzzle for every single person here today, God. God, let our prayer be, God, what do you want from me? Because that's what I'm going to do. This Christmas, that's what I'm going to do. This season, that's what I'm going to do. We thank you, Jesus. And as we're in this moment of prayer, maybe you're here and you've never made a decision for Christ, or maybe you have and it's been a while, or there's, there's something that's happened that's, bring a, that's brought a disconnection between you and God. And, and you know that you need to have one of those line in the sand moments where you say, yes, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. If that's you, I'd love you to do something a little bit brave. We're not going to pull you out the front or embarrass you, but I'd love you just to lift your hand where you are. We'll see that hand. You can put it down. I'm going to pray together. Is there someone like that this morning that wants to say yes to Jesus, that wants to say yes to that that part of the puzzle that God's called them to. They want to say yes to accept His love and His peace.